Good morning, and welcome to Lopes on Movies. My name is Joey Lopes, and I am joined today by Kyle. Hello. You know, Kyle, this is very special for me because, I mean, we'll put it this way. I love when we get to do Lopes on Movies episodes with the whole gang. You know? Oh, yeah. It's been yeah. a while since we've had me, you, and Connor, and even sometimes Mark. You know, we get like the four people on an episode. That's a crazy thing when that happens. But I think it's it, it's been a long, long time since it's been just me and you on yeah, a show. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I was thinking back at that, and I do not remember the last time it was just the two of us. The only episode I can think of was when we talked about Booksmart. Oh, you remember that? Yeah, Booksmart. I remember that. I think it's crazy. Like, that, how old is that movie? Like, 2019? Was that, that that feels like a pre-pandemic movie? It was definitely a pre-pandemic yeah. movie. Um, but it's just uh, that that's one of those movies that like has completely left every aspect of my memory except for the fact that we did an episode. on <laughs> I'd be curious what we said. Uh, I, I have no idea. I, I think, I think but, it was an okay movie. I don't really. Yeah, we were kind of like, else. yeah, it was fine. You know, <laughs> we got I, twenty I, minutes out of that. Yeah, I think we. Uh, I think we all agreed though that this was going to be the start of Olivia Wilde's great directorial uh, career. Womp womp. Well, that uh, <laughs> that sure didn't didn't take off. Well, she, what she did that Florence Pugh movie, yeah, um, with with Harry Styles or whatever, and uh, <laughs> the yeah. Uh, if we need to fill time, Chris we can talk about spit. that for like twenty minutes. <laughs> I don't think we really need to fill time <laughs> that much. Um, but I mean, the other funny thing though is that with this episode, Connor's actually listening to us record this, even though he can't record himself. It's terrifying because he's currently uh, he's, he's currently in New York City doing something but he wanted to listen so i mean to be fair we're recording this very very late um because i had a very busy day but you know we're, we're me and you kyle we're gonna we're gonna talk about this movie yes to, you know this is, this is gonna be a crazy episode because of course this is the long teased oppenheimer episode yes i mean we have been talking about reviewing this this movie for for weeks because we could not get tickets to see it the way we wanted to see it until you know, today, um, because you had to, like, long story short, you wanted to see it in IMAX 70 millimeter, which is the format that the movie was shot in. Yes. Um, and ultimately designed for, and Nolan shoots a lot of his movies in this, this format. Um, I think that the last time I saw a movie in this format was, uh, Dunkirk. So it's kind of like, it's kind of his thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and that, that's something I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit with you. Is I, have you ever seen a movie in this exact format, like the IMAX 70 millimeter format? I do not believe so. I feel like I would have never just wandered into a 70 millimeter IMAX right. film. So I think this was my first. So I, I'm just I'm just curious as somebody who's never like done that before. What did you think of like just the overall presentation of an IMAX 70 millimeter well, movie? I mean, it's been a while since I've even seen an IMAX movie. So like right off the bat, I was like, oh, man, it, it took a second to get used to. I, I, sure. It's been a while yeah, since yeah. I've seen a movie like that. But I have to say, as it went on, I was like, oh, this is this is the way to watch this movie. Like, hundred <laughs> percent. Everything yeah. looks so good. And it. I, I can't even describe it in the correct way, but it, I really, I really liked the style yeah. of you know viewing. The thing about it is like that that 
people don't maybe they don't realize is that like the IMAX 70 millimeter format is not a widescreen format it's actually no. closer to like an old TV format like I don't think it's exactly four by three but it's like that that kind of thing but yeah. the screen is so massive that it takes up like your entire field of vision including like above and like below yes. so when the movie starts and you realize that every like like almost every shot is is framed for that composition it's crazy like anywhere you look, in your your field of vision, you're seeing something that's a part of the frame, and uh, for for a movie like this, especially, which is it's very interesting, is like Dunkirk was a movie that had a lot of um, very wide open spaces, mm -hmm. and that played very very well in the IMAX 70 millimeter format. And this movie has a couple of wide open spaces, especially when they get to like Los Alamos and stuff. Yes, but the frame is mostly used for like close ups of the characters. Um, which is so, like a very interesting use of this format because <laughs> the 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 close-ups of like Killian Murphy's face in IMAX 70 millimeter are gigantic. You, you, like there <laughs> are, you see a lot of Killian Murphy's face in this. Every pore on that man's face yes. is burned into my brain now from <laughs> having seen this movie <laughs> in this format. But it's awesome. Like there, I I can't stress enough how cool it is to see a movie in the IMAX 70 millimeter format. And it's a very rare thing. I think there's only like 20 theaters or something in the country yeah. that uh, that have it. But it's been so popular with, with Oppenheimer that they're extending the run. So like, if you want to be able to see this movie in the format it was designed for, um, you know, you'll have an opportunity. Like it's going to continue going for, you know, it's probably for the foreseeable future through yeah. the month of August. So like definitely... Uh, you know, without even talking about the movie itself, which we'll of course get to, uh, I, I strongly recommend seeking out IMAX 70 millimeter if you're interested in this movie. Because uh, I mean, just just thinking about like what it must be like in in a regular movie theater, where like they'll take that that boxy IMAX frame and crop it for widescreen. Mm -hmm. So I like, think of all the stuff on the top and bottom that's not going to be there. I, I was <laughs> thinking about that during some of those shots. It's like, yeah, this probably looks. I, I won't say worse. But it's got to look very different if you're not seeing yeah, it, IMAX. It'd just be missing so much information. Yeah. Like, like it, there's there's really, like, there's no experience quite like it. And I'm no. glad that, like, you know, it, it's a novelty thing, right? Like, Christopher Nolan's one of the very, very, very few filmmakers. I mean, really the only one I can name off the top of my head that actually makes movies for this format. So, like, like maybe some of the Mission Impossible movies, I think, have been yeah, done. I, I could see like, that, like, yeah. I think some of them have done some shots in this format, but not like the whole movie. Like almost this entire movie is shot in IMAX 70 millimeter, mm -hmm. which is insane. Like I think there's there's a, a handful of uh, of parts that aren't, but the vast majority of it is, which is yeah. I mean, just you, you got to see it this way. It's it's the way to go. You yes. Know? Like take take your time. Look for a screening. I mean, we had to look like way out in the future to find a screening because it's like all sold out at, you know, 1040 a.m. on a Tuesday, all sold out. We had to take off of work in order to be able to see this. And like everybody, everybody in the world is, is seen. It's crazy. God, I can't believe I hope my boss isn't listening to this. <laughs> I just, I just can't believe how like popular this movie has been like I like it and Barbie. I understand are like the packaged thing. Yeah, and like it, the, that whole meme. I, I get it, but like this movie in particular being as unbelievably popular as it, it it's gotten is like it is crazy. You know, other than just the name Christopher Nolan and and the association with like it being the dark movie to the light Barbie or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like this is a a long three hour biopic. You know. 
that's that's very much focused on the the dialogue and some the very complicated situations oh yeah <laughs> so like i i'm i'm kind of like it pleasantly surprised that it's been such a a ridiculous box office hit mm. um because yeah, I mean, just spoiling my own my own thoughts on it. Yeah, it's great. It's oh, a great movie. Fantastic movie. Fantastic movie. Uh, all right, so let's. Uh, everybody kind of knows what's going on, but just for formality's sake, Kyle, how about you give us the uh, the synopsis from from our favorite website, uh, Internet Movie Database. Fantastic website. Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Is it Oppenheimer? Or Oppenheimer. I I I'm constantly um, struggling with this. I uh, the vast majority of people pronounce it Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. I think, okay. I think there's there might be some reason to think that Oppenheimer is also acceptable, but Oppenheimer <laughs> is what I would would go with. Okay. Well, anyway, the story of an American scientist, J. Robert Oppenheimer, and his role in the development of the atomic bomb, directed by, of course, Christopher Nolan, starring Killian Murphy, <laughs> Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., Florence Pugh, and. So many other recognizable faces. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty much everybody in Hollywood, right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> you might as well just uh, you know, list every every like male <laughs> actor you've ever seen in a movie is uh, is in Hoppenheim. Every twenty minutes in this, I was just saying, "Oh, that guy. Oh, yeah, that guy." Yeah, yeah exactly. It was incredible. <laughs> so anyway, Joey, give your yeah. full thoughts on the film. Oh man. Uh, this is a kind of a weird movie because the uh, I, I kept thinking of like the structure of it is is kind of bizarre where mm-hmm. like the first act is very much like the the setup of the character and it, it's it, in a kind of typical biopic structure it just kind of gives you like little snippets of aspects of his life before the most important aspect of his life which is leading the Manhattan Project yes. Um, so you get some like little little snippets of his life here and there, and you kind of get a picture of who the guy is um, when he's a student, and then eventually becoming this uh, this physicist that you know renowned and starting the uh, the quantum theory at at whatever Berkeley, I believe, California, um, and uh, he he started the whole like the the class on that and the, the study of that or whatever, um, and all all of that, and then everything leading up to the point where eventually Matt Damon shows up and says, "Hey, I, I want you to." to build the bomb for me. And he was like, all right, I'm, I'm down. Well, really, <laughs> you know, just, that's not that simple. But the, the idea being that, like, eventually they, this is somebody splits the atom. They, yes. they realize that it's possible, even though, like, based on all of the math and the theory, the Oppenheimer was sure it wasn't possible, but then it was proven to be able to be done. And they realize, all of them realize immediately what that means. It's like, well, someone's going to use this to build a bomb. And we better be the first ones to do it because if the Nazis get the bomb before anybody else, that's going to be bad. Um, so that's kind of just the setup of how he gets into the Manhattan Project. So like the first, the first part of the movie is that. The second part of the movie is pretty much everything leading up to the eventual like Trinity test mm-hmm. of the first, the, the first time that an atomic weapon was ever tested or dropped or used. Um, and then everything after that is dealing with. A, a kind of a situation that you see crop up throughout the movie because much like a lot of Christopher Nolan movies, this is sort of told non-linearly mm-hmm. where there's a bunch of different like like kind of storylines happening in parallel, but they take place at very different times. So what you get in the, the, the last part of the movie is basically intercutting between two different hearings. One hearing is like a private hearing 
for um, Oppenheimer where they're basically it's it's a hearing where they're trying to get rid of his security clearance because of his kind of past associations with communism um, and his uh, it's very McCarthy era stuff mm-hmm. um, and, and and eventually getting him kind of out of the loop of everything that's going on and getting rid of his you know kind of tarnishing his public image or whatever and then another hearing for this uh, the 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 chair of the Atomic Energy Commission. I believe, um, and Strauss, who's played by Robert Downey Jr., and his hearings that he's trying to get like a uh, cabinet position, yes, I believe. Yeah. Um, and so the, the hearing is just like you know him him trying to, to to get that to happen and get enough votes to to get this cabinet position. Um, and he his relationship to Oppenheimer forms like a really important aspect of that um, that that whole thing. But it's very strange because, like, the, the last part of the movie feels very, very different from the first two parts, which is basically all this buildup and all this buildup, all this buildup. And then the last part of the movie is all of this, like, this kind of, like, litigation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it, at first, I, I was a little bit, like, not, I didn't dislike it, but I'm just trying to figure out, like, wh- what is the movie doing? And then I kind of got it, especially by the uh, the end. Like, I think the ending of this movie is one of the best endings I've seen that- in an unbelievable it's an unbelievably good ending. without you know spoiling anything not that you know it's not really a spoiler every movie but that ending hits hard <laughs> like it's it's crazy it's, how hard that it, ending it's hits. amazing but man does it like it's like a gut punch it is yeah no but it, it's it's set up so perfectly too like that's it if nothing else like the three hours of Oppenheimer <laughs> are 100% worth yes. it for that that ending just because of how perfectly everything comes together for that moment and like the last lines of dialogue mm-hmm. that are delivered um it's it's really it's really something else um so yeah I mean I I, I think this is this is a you know top tier movie uh, I'm kind of curious what, what your your thoughts are Kyle. yes I I agree pretty much 100% I I I won't say the last third lost me, but I do agree that it kind of felt like the tonal shift was a little weird because it kind of went full like courtroom drama at the mm, end. Yeah. And there was nothing wrong with it. It was still all like very entertaining, but it was kind of weird how, you know, the bomb dropping is like an hour and a half into the movie. And then, all, <laughs> you know, all this other stuff keeps going. But yeah, just I, I don't even know how to describe it, but. I enjoyed it so much. I liked it so much more than I thought I would. You know, mm-hmm. biopics can be hit or miss, even though as great mm-hmm. as Christopher mm-hmm. Nolan is, you never know with these movies. Sometimes they That's can drag true. a little bit and mm-hmm. be, I won't say not entertaining, but can kind of lose me. But this was fantastic. Uh, very rarely can a movie just drop guys like Matt Damon, Josh Peck, and all these other <laughs> guys, and I'm just completely with it the entire time. It never took me yeah. out <laughs> the whole time. I was like, "Yeah, oh, this is great. Keep going." Yeah, like I, I've, you'll, you'll, you'll see like like people sometimes complain about like Matt Damon and Interstellar, mm-hmm. right? Where he shows up and you weren't expecting him to show yes. up, but he shows up and suddenly you're like, "Oh, hey, hey, Matt, what, what are you yeah, doing what? here?" And like on some level, this movie is just like endless moments of that where it's like oh hey you know alden aaron reich <laughs> or you know all these guys that you've seen oh casey oh, affleck hey, kenneth branagh casey too? affleck what are you doing here <laughs> right but like the, the it, it, for first of all like the logic behind that like the reason christopher nolan cast people like that is because he knew that 
Like he, he didn't want to compromise on any of the the people that were involved in this like real historical event. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't want to make composite characters or anything like multiple people into one. He wanted to make sure that every person that was relevant to the story showed up in the story but that could get really really confusing for people if it was like unknown faces that you're seeing for the first time or like lesser known people so he wanted to cast like even the bit players with recognizable actors so that you remembered them you know so that it was like and and the the effect actually worked really really well like there's uh there's one character played by rami malik who like obviously everybody knows who rami malik Mm -hmm. is and they recognize him but he's barely in it he's in it for like one shot in the first half of the movie and then becomes like very important and like a key player in like the very very end but just because you like remember the face because you know who he is that makes the 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 process like not confusing for people they're not going to be like oh who is that have we seen him before who's that guy like they'll remember him right um so that was the idea with all of these characters um and like like casey affleck's characters um and like all, all that basically everybody um, but everybody melds into the role so perfectly. Like they're, they're perfect for the actual like like role that they're playing. So like even though they're they're all very recognizable, they're all very good. Yes, you know. Yeah. That, yeah. that that you know I didn't even really think about that, but that is a great decision on his part because it makes everyone yeah. noticeable. And exactly, yeah, it's like it's like Josh Peck. He's in it for like two seconds before he really like does or says anything. But then it's like, oh, there he is. You know. Pressing the button yeah, and doing exactly. all that. Like it, exactly. It's, yeah, you, it's you actually a really smart yeah. decision. It is, for sure. Um, Obviously, it's hard for every director to get these you know, big names to do bit parts. But <laughs> if you can, it's a good decision. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, Christopher Nolan's one of the few guys who can command that kind of respect mm-hmm. and get you know every actor who would ever like, want to be <laughs> in a big movie. He could, he could get whoever he wants. Exactly. Um, but uh, I, I mean, while we're talking about the... The actors. We should talk a little bit about Killian Murphy. Oh yeah, in this uh, in this role. And like, I I don't know like specifically what what to say other than just like the guy is so memorable in this role in like a very interesting way. Mm-hmm. Like be, beyond just the fact that his like his look is so unique, and it always has been. Like he's always been a very like interesting looking face in movies. <laughs> um, but the thing that like really struck me was like just his voice in this movie. Oh like, yeah. For some reason, his like like just the way he spoke was so like like interesting like I, I don't know if he he pulled that from the real Oppenheimer or kind of like like got some of his vocal inflections in, in mm-hmm. there but like it, I, I, he just completely embodies that character in in such a a like effortless way that uh, like if the, he, he's got it like he, obviously he's he's carrying the entire movie yeah. because of how like important like the, the the story of the character is but like Man, it is at a good performance. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's it's unreal. Yeah. I, I obviously do not know much, or I haven't seen much of the real Oppenheimer, but he must have studied him in some way because oh, yeah. every line he delivers is just has an inflection to it that is just you don't just make that up on the fly. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say though, huge uh, faux pas, huge uh, like uh, movie fail, Kyle. <clears throat> Um, is that uh, especially you can see this really clearly yeah. in the IMAX 70 millimeter. You can see that his ears are pierced. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to change my grade to an F plus now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the real Oppenheimer had earrings at any point 
that doesn't sound right. Um, and but you I, know, Killian Murphy, I, I get it. He was in like a rock band at some point, like a punk band. So of course he had earrings. Yeah. Okay, well, this this changes a lot, but I guess I it, it ruined the movie for me personally. Like, and I'm I'm sorry for pointing this out because now you it's it's all you're going to be able to see in all of those wonderful <laughs> Killian Murphy close-ups. If, if you don't want the movie to be ruined for you, I suggest not seeing it in IMAX. That way, you might not see the ears pierced. Ah, uh, you're still going to see it, bro. Now that I now that I told you to look for every it, shot, just it. staring at his ears. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I should go without saying that, like, if that bothers you, you know, get a life. <laughs> um, I'm surprised the guy sitting next to me, yeah. it didn't bother him, but, you know. Oh, can you believe that guy? Like, for, for, uh, for like, a, uh, overall, like, we, we had such a good theater experience. Oh, it was fantastic. This movie. Like, like the, the crowd was like, and of course, like, if, if you're going to see a premium IMAX 70 millimeter movie at 10 40 a.m you're probably bought into the idea of really wanting to see yes. this movie so you're probably not going to be a bad audience member but uh you know some some people didn't get the memo no. i guess specifically uh, a person <laughs> sitting right next to me uh yeah I, mean, I can't repeat some of the stuff that he said no, on no. the radio but like he he was just like cracking jokes during like really it was only during like the first like hour of the movie yeah I think, but um, I mean, I, I couldn't hear him after that. Maybe he was still talking. I don't know. Um, but like, he was just like, like something would happen on screen and he'd crack a dumb joke, almost like he's, he's doing a comedy he, bit. If, it like, felt like <laughs> he was like doing like a commentary track, like, or something. Yeah. Right. Like, right. Right. It, it was just really obnoxious and it's just it, go home, go, go away. The funny part is, is that like three seats on the other side of me. This this mom brought her like ten year old kid, and he was great. He he sat through this this very R rated movie, and you know didn't make a sound. But this this adult next to me was you know didn't respect it quite as much. Just an odd odd guy. Like who, yeah. who does that? I just can't fathom the the thought process to go to a movie by yourself and then just like try out bits. But next to this is the people next to you. <laughs> Like, I just, I just can't, like, I swear to God, like, there was one joke that he told that I heard because he was sitting, like, he was behind me. Yes. And I, I heard it, and i like, if I was sitting next to that guy, I would I would have throttled him. Like, I, I, I would I would, would have been unhinged. Like, it was so bad. It was so awful. Um, I, I, I would have, I, 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 I'm glad I wasn't sitting yes. next to him. We will him not be repeating I, I this be joke also for yeah. multiple well, reasons. We can't. Yeah. We can't, unfortunately. But believe me when I say that if you heard it, you would cringe so unbearably badly yes. that you would probably cease to exist like I almost did in the theater. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was, oh boy. But besides uh, that great theater experience. Other than that, yes, everybody was super bought in, super into it. And uh, that's that's a wonderful thing. But uh, all right, I want to ask one more question. Ooh, okay. For you, Kyle, because this has been like a, I guess, semi-divisive point uh -oh. on this movie, which is the the music. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of people have like uh, some people are really into it. Like some people kind of like the general Christopher Nolan style yeah. of like kind of blanketing a movie in just like wall-to-wall -wall music. Like very few Christopher Nolan movies really have any moments of just silence yeah. or like pure sound effects like almost all of his movies are just like completely blanketed with music that's just kind of like what he likes to do and he used to do it with Hans Zimmer but his last two movies including this one like this and Tenet he had I think uh, Ludwig Göransson I think is his name um, and it's slightly different style from Hans Zimmer but still the same idea of like blanketing the whole movie in music and I've heard some people are like 
kind of just not into that. Like they don't really, they, they think the music is just a little overbearing. Uh, I'm, I'm curious what you thought about that. Cause it didn't really bother me, but there were definitely moments where I were like, there'd be like a, a quiet scene by a lake or something. And you just hear like, bah, bah. you know, like <laughs> something like that in the soundtrack. And I was just, I would think to myself, like, I, I wonder how this would play with no music or like, or, or what the intent is by making the, the music so dramatic here. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's like an internal thing where we're supposed to be thinking of like what what Oppenheimer is kind of like feeling inside, even though like yeah. the, the the scene is fairly innocuous, but like like it, it definitely is noticeable. So I'm curious what mm-hmm. you kind of thought about that. So like I definitely understand that point of view that sometimes you want there to be just or even if there's some music, just maybe tone it down a little bit. I get that. It didn't really bother me that much. It, you know, maybe there were some parts that he could have slowed it down a little bit but i never felt that there was really a scene that was ruined by the music or yeah, anything like i don't that. i don't think so either i mean i think yeah. like with with the way christopher nolan uses music it becomes so like expected in everything that like mm-hmm. you're very rarely like focusing on the music itself because it just becomes like a bed that blankets the entire movie whereas like yeah. in other movies you might have like scenes with music scenes without music and that makes the music stand out when it comes in whereas in this mm-hmm. case it's like the whole movie has got this entire pulse to it which is true of all oh, of, yeah. all of his movies like the dark knight is one of the, the ones that i always think of when it comes in terms of like wall-to-wall nolan music <laughs> where it's just like mm-hmm. and even dunkirk where there's just like this constant like rhythmic like kind of ticking clock element in the music um yeah and uh th- this is, is similar which is an interesting choice for a essentially a drama about a real life Mm -hmm. figure um where not all that much exciting or like like thrilling like action type stuff happens Mm -hmm. in this i mean really like you could i I guess you could call the the trinity test something like that but it's it's much more like like really it's a dialogue based movie with very technical dialogue and just like the relationships between the characters and everything so it's an interesting choice, but it definitely didn't bother me. It just sort of like I, became an aspect of the, the movie. I guess like it also didn't bother me too much because even though it's like you said, there's not like action set pieces or anything like that. The movie has a good pace to it where oh, yeah. it's not really like sitting in one like room for too long. Like yeah. usually he's going from, you know, he's there, then he's there, then he's talking to this guy, he's talking to that guy. So like, I feel like if there was like a 20 minute like just quiet talking scene, then yeah, if that music was blaring, then it would be a little bit much. But I think Mm. the way the movie is structured, going back and forth so much, it doesn't really affect it. Definitely the style of the editing kind of like lends itself to the, the way the music is used, I think. Yeah. And that's, that's again, it's true of really most of Christopher Nolan's movies. So I feel like it's just an element of his style at this point. And like, Mm -hmm. you're either going to, you're either going to buy it or you're not, you know? Yeah. Um, But I mean, at the end of the day, I think like, the the key moments of the movie, like where where there's music and the music needs to be like really good, it it's like mm-hmm. it's there, like especially le- yeah. everything leading up to the Trinity test. Um, oh yeah, like and, and just just talking about that that whole scene in general is like so unbelievably tense, and like it, I I think the reason why ultimately like the last part of the movie worked for me, and this is not really a spoiler, but like maybe a, a little bit talking just just past the the mm-hmm. point if you don't want to hear anything more um <laughs> the reason that the last part of the movie worked so well for me because the last part of the movie starts after the trinity test and sort of basically right after oppenheimer learns about them using the bombs on japan and the whole 
rest of the movie is basically like, even though he very rarely talks about it directly, it's the 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 way he's coming to terms with the reality of what they've done and how that what that means not only for like what they did to Japan, but what that means for the future and his kind of like internal unraveling at that trumps yeah. all the stuff that's happening to him where like, he, yes, he's going through this thing with his security clearance, but like at that point, it's like he's got bigger things on his mind than his security clearance. He knows that he is, he's a non-factor and that they yes. like the, the military used him and they got what they wanted and now they can discard him. And at this point, he's he's just thinking like, man, what have I done? You know, and like so this this, yeah. this could be the end of the world. Like, yeah. you know. So, Crazy. so like the, the, the reason why I like that, especially like contrasting that with, uh, with Robert Downey Jr.'s character, who's just like purely egotistical and can't see the bigger picture because he's purely <laughs> yeah. thinking of himself and what he, what he thinks Oppenheimer did to him. Where, whereas Oppenheimer doesn't, isn't thinking about you, man, he's thinking about the <laughs> fact that he might have destroyed the world, Yeah, which is like, and the, the crazy thing is like that, that's, that's, that's basically real. I mean, like mm-hmm. that's Oppenheimer had very good reason. If, if this is how he felt in real life, he had very good reason to believe he may have been a, a strong part of the end of the world, but not very many people can, can say with any actual <laughs> legitimacy. So it's pretty, it's pretty special, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think that uh, that whole last hour of the movie, leading up to that that ridiculously powerful ending, is is mm-hmm. like the the payoff is so unbelievably worth it. So yes. Any any final thoughts, or we're just gonna leave it there. Uh, very good movie. I strongly suggest you go see it if you can see it in seventy millimeter IMAX. That's great. But uh, I still think no matter how you see it, you should go see this movie. Couldn't have said it better myself. So everybody, we will see you next week.